Jesus together. My voice a little loud today? That scared some of you, didn't it? All right, well, we got your attention. We want to focus your attention on Jesus this morning. He's the reason why we are here. He is the one who died for our sins on the cross and rose again. Amen? And so we gather together to worship him. If you are a guest or a visitor with us this morning, we're especially glad to see you. On the back of the pew in front of you, there's a little card that says, Let's Get Acquainted. And if you would fill that card out, and place it in the offering plate when it comes by later in the service. I'd be happy to give you a phone call this week and let you know that it was good to see you and answer any questions that you may have about our church. We've got just a few folks out this morning. In fact, I think there's about 20 adults up in Smithville, Arkansas that are working with our Survivor Youth Camp. Uh, Coy and Vicki and all the other youth leaders left out Thursday morning and they are having a wonderful time. There have been a few students who have already made professions of faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so we praise the Lord for that. In fact, this morning, uh, they were planning to baptize one or two of those young men there in the swimming pool. And we didn't want you to miss out on that fun and celebration. So they are recording that on video and we'll be able to show it to you next Sunday morning during our worship service. Does that sound like a plan? Good deal. So I'm glad to see you this week, but come back next week. We also had a good week up here uh, with Sports Crusaders Camp for the children. Our children's minister, Bryson Long, and all of his volunteers uh, did a wonderful job with our sports camp. And we're excited to, to be able to share with you that there were some decisions made at the camp uh, this week here at the church as well. So we praise the Lord for that. If you'll notice in your bulletins this morning, uh, there's just a few things to, to take note of and keep in mind. Vacation Bible School is coming up soon. It will be July the 24th through the 28th here at the church uh, from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And uh, you can see Mr. Bryson Long if you have questions about that. There is a meeting for all of our VBS workers uh, this afternoon at 4.30 p.m. in the youth room. So if you're helping with Vacation Bible School, please make sure to remember that meeting. Uh, you'll also notice that there's a nominating committee listed in the, uh, in the bulletin. If you are on the nominating committee, disregard that. We're going to meet at a different time uh, to allow those of you who are working with Vacation Bible School to, to go to the meeting there. So keep in mind Vacation Bible School. Keep in mind these students who are at Survivor Camp. Pray for them, uh, especially the ones who have come to know Jesus and would you pray for the children from Sports Crusaders who came to know Jesus as well. Let's pray together as we come before the Lord in worship. Father God, we thank you so much for the wonderful day that you have given us. A day where we can come together and study your word. A day where we can come together and pray and sing your praises. God, we ask that you would be honored and glorified in everything we say and everything that we do. We give our worship, we give our lives to you because your son Jesus gave his life for us. Father, would you bless our students who are still at Survivor today and tomorrow. We pray that you would continue the work that you've already been doing in their hearts and lives. May even more come to know Jesus. May the ones who have come to know Jesus as Lord of their lives grow in their faith. Would you be with the ones this morning who are going through baptism? We ask that you would be at the children who made decisions to trust Christ or to recommit their lives to Jesus this week at sports camp, that you would be with them and help them to develop a daily faith walk with you. 
God, we pray that you'd be at Vacation Bible School coming up. We ask your blessings upon Bryson and upon all of our workers and leaders as they prepare to teach and to share the love of Jesus with, with children and families in our community. Would you be with us this morning? We thank you so much for the joy that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Everybody said. Let's stand and sing uh, some worship songs to our Lord. We're going to start with, He has made me glad into what a friend we have in Jesus. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me children for children's service. 
How are y'all? Good? Who came to sports camp this week? Did you play ball hard? Yeah, y'all played good. I like seeing y'all play. We had just an update to 70, 65, 70, 75 that attended on a daily basis. So it was a pretty, pretty good camp. Uh, a lot of kids enjoyed it. The coaches were amazing. Uh, it was just, it was a good week. Just like Jake said, there was, there was a few decisions made, so it was well worth it. So I'm looking forward to next year's camp. Are y'all? All right. All right, this morning, I have brought a stack of books here. What is this? The Bibles. That's right. I'll get to them in just a second. But I'm going to tell you a couple ways that people use these Bibles. Okay? First off, I'm going to take the bottom one here if I don't make them all fall. So, this is a Bible. This is my personal Bible, okay, that I take with me all the time. Um, a lot of people use these Bibles for different ways. I'm going to show you. First way is this. They let it sit on the corner of a table, just like that, all week. Yeah, I know it. Second way, uh-oh, second way is this. They use it as a paperweight to keep papers from flying off the desk and falling everywhere, right? Yeah? Okay, is that funny? All right. Let's see, another way is Bibles are used sometimes in courtrooms. When you go to court, they'll, like if you have to go on a witness stand or something, you've seen it on TV, they'll hold it out, the bailiff will hold it out and they'll put your hand on the Bible and they'll say, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And they'll say, I do, right? Or yes. So when your hand's on the Bible, you can't lie in court, right? So especially on God's word. So there's a couple ways, right, that uh, people use the Bibles. And here's another interesting way that I found out that the Bible has also saved lives. Not your spiritual life, of course, but your physical life. During uh, times of war, soldiers would go out and they'd have their uniform on. And they would have pockets, kind of like I have on mine. But they would carry a small Bible inside their pocket, just like this, okay? And some of them, there's some stories of people, soldiers who have gotten shot in this area, and they hit the Bible, and it saved them. It, it went through the Bible, of course, but it, it, it didn't kill them. They got saved. They saved their life. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, another way is it's a great gift. It's a great gift. If you don't know how to, what to buy anybody for their birthday or Christmas or whatever, guess what? Go to the Bible bookstore and just get a little small Bible like this and give them as a gift. It's a great gift, right? Now, another way is, another way I know how people use the Bible is this. What we hadn't talked about yet? Reading the Bible. Bible here, okay? And you open and you read it. Good as a Bible if it stays closed like this. I can study it for years upon years by looking at it, right? 
But until I, what, open it up and start reading it, I'm not going to know what's inside. So we have to study it, right? So let's study what God's Word says to us, to, says to us today. We're going to see what Paul says to his friend Timothy about our Scripture, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And it says, All Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It also corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do and what is right. God uses it to prepare us and equip his people to do every good work for him. So in this, well, so in this Bible, it teaches us about how we're supposed to live, okay? How we're supposed to live God's way instead of our way. He teaches us about all his promises that he said he was going to fulfill and did. It tells us how he came to earth and taught and preached and lived. And it also teaches us how he died and was buried and rose again. All his promises are in here. So this is a great gift. It's a great Bible. It's God's gift to us. And we're supposed to study it and memorize it. And learn it. Okay? And all, just like this stack of Bibles here. Bibles come in all shapes. Different sizes. Different colors. This is just a few of my collections that I have over the years. Even my little bitty Bible that I got when I was three years old. Isn't that cool? I still got it. Yeah, I found it last night, by the way. So. But. You can also, you're just. Some of you are little. And you can't read the words that are in these big old Bibles that mom and dad's got, right? So, there's another Bible that you can go get. You can go help your mom and dad go to the store and get you a Bible like this. This is the children's Bible, okay? It says the same thing that this big old Bible here does, but in your words, okay? And it's even got pretty pictures to go along with it. Isn't that cool? It's a complete Bible geared to your age, okay? So, it doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. The Bible is something that you can learn and study and equipped. Just like it says, it teaches us how to live. So, let's learn it, let's read it, and study it. Okay? Let's thank God for his word. Father, thank you for sending your son here to live and to teach and to preach. And thank you for your spoken word that we have at our fingertips, uh, let us not, let us sit on the edge of the table or use it as a paperweight. Let us open it up and read it and study it. It's your spoken word to us. It's your gift to us. Let's study it and read it. Thank you for everything you've done for us. We love you and praise you. We ask your name. Amen. Let's stand again as we continue in worshiping and song. With I stand amazed in the presence. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Thank you. 
Maybe bow for prayer. Father, I just want to thank you this morning for our worship hour, for our time together, for the teaching of the Lord. For, I pray for the pastor and for the staff. And Father, I pray for the message that we will receive, that we will receive it with open hearts, open mind, and with love. Father, I want to pray for those who teach the word of God, the missionaries, Sunday school teachers, those, who, those people that reach others. And Father, I pray that you give them wisdom, you give them guidance. 
And Father, I pray as we bring our tithes, our offerings to you, to your church, that you will bless these and may the teaching of your word endure forever. That people will be reached and lost souls will know your name. I pray these words in Jesus' name. Amen. While our uh, teenagers are at survivor camp, I've been doing some surviving of my own. Stephanie went to camp with the teenagers. I got four little ones at the house. That's a real survivor right there. But 
I've got some help. Mally Grace is, is eight, man. She is a good big sister to those little brothers of hers. And uh, so I'm thankful that, uh, that she's there at the house with me. Or otherwise, we might all be in trouble. All right? I'm going to talk to you um, about surviving in life. Surviving in your Christian faith. And really not just surviving, but living victoriously. We started last week our exploration and study of the book of 1 Timothy in both Sunday school and in our morning worship service. And we looked at the command last week that Paul gave to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. There he told Timothy to fight the good fight. He told Timothy to do that by developing core strength in keeping the faith that is the message that Christ came for our sins and died on the cross, just like the Bible teaches, that he was buried, and on the third day that he rose again, just like the prophecy said he would. And he also told Timothy to develop core strength by keeping a good personal conscience about what he believed and how he lived. He ought to have a clean conscience and a pure conscience, a mind focused on the gospel message and mission. But today as we think about fighting the good fight, I want to talk to you about the idea of having steady hands in the good fight. Before we read our text this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 6, I got a question to ask you. Now, I'm not a professional boxer. I really was never a good fighter anyways. I would turn and run away. It's not that I don't like conflict, it's just that I'm wise and most people are bigger than me, so I ran away. But if you got in a fight, what would be the natural position you would go to with your hands? I'm talking about a real fight. What would you do? Show me. Show me, for real. Some of you are ready to fight. I won't fight you. Probably because I'll lose, all right? But that's what you do. You put your hands up in front of your face. Why do you do that? Protect the face. I mean, some of us are already ugly enough to begin with. We don't need any help getting uglier, right? You protect the face. But you're also ready to do what? Throw a punch and fight. This is how a person goes to battle physically. They prepare themselves. They get in a stance where they can defend themselves and protect themselves. But also they get in a stance from which they can throw a punch and go on an offensive attack. I don't usually watch boxing matches, but I was very intrigued a few weeks back to see a boxing match on Fox one Saturday night. Stephanie came in and she said, what are you watching? I said, this is interesting. And this guy is just standing there for all 13 rounds. There was no knockout in this, in this boxing match. And he's standing there just taking blow after blow to the body. And every once in a while, he'd take a big shot across the face. And it just looks like he's getting beat up. I mean, the first several rounds, I was thinking, man, this, this guy is going to fall on the mat and lose. And he was the bigger guy of the two. But here's what happened. Toward the end of the fight, this guy who had been defending himself and was keeping going still had strength left. He was able to withstand a lot of the hits. And this other guy who had just been knocking him silly now had to go into defensive strategy. And he starts with his back against the ropes, and this bigger guy's just pummeling him. And I thought, whoa, this guy that looked like he was about to lose is about to come out on top. And he did. 
I don't remember the guy's names. Like I said, I don't watch boxing much. But I thought, man, that's a pretty good understanding of what fighting a good fight looks like in our spiritual life and in the Christian faith. In fact, if I were to tell you to fight the good fight and to prepare for battle spiritually, what would be the natural position of your hands? You might think that is a weird question, but what would you think about? What would you do? Some of you got it. What do you think of when somebody does this? What word comes to mind? Prayer. Praying. And this looks like a very weird posture and position from which to fight. Does it not? But yet here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, this is exactly what Paul tells Timothy to do in order to fight the good fight. He doesn't tell him to get ready to throw punches with his fists or to protect his own face. Rather, he tells him that he needs to pray. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. First of all, then I urge you that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Father God, we pray that you would bless the study of your word this morning. Help us to understand how we may fight the good fight by spending time in prayer for all people. It's in the name of your son Jesus who died for our sins that we pray. Amen. So here's what we've got to think about when it comes to fighting the good fight. It's not just a matter of developing core strength by keeping the faith in a good conscience. It's also a matter of maintaining steady hands in prayer. Paul gives this command to Timothy in chapter 2 verse 1 by saying, first of all. In other words, the overarching command of the book is to fight the good fight by keeping the faith in a good conscience. But if Timothy is going to continue to fight this good fight, he's got to have some priorities in line. And the first thing Paul tells Timothy to do is to pray. In fact, he uses four synonyms, entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings in verse 1. Some of your translations in English may use a few different words there like supplications or uh, uh, supplications or intercessions. But really what Paul is asking people to do, asking Timothy to do and commanding Timothy to do is to pray in every way possible for everybody possible. The word entreaties and the word prayers that's used in the NASB in verse 1 of chapter 2 are the two most common words used for prayer in all of the New Testament. We think of the idea of prayer. It just simply means to talk with God. To tell him your needs. To talk to him about what's going on. When we think about the word entreaties, 
or supplications. It's the word that means to ask God to supply something to meet the need. The word petitions or intercession is used here and only one other place in all of the New Testament. And it means to ask God for something on behalf of someone else. You are interceding for them. That is, you are lifting up another person and another person's needs in prayer. And the word thanksgivings means to give God thanks and praise for the way He is working and for the things that He is doing in your life and in the life of people around you. Paul uses these words to get his point across to Timothy. That is to pray, 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 and pray. And Paul doesn't just tell Timothy to pray, but he tells him who to pray for. He says that these prayers, entreaties, petitions, thanksgivings ought to be made on behalf of who? Everyone. All people. Whoever they are, wherever they are, in whatever situation they find themselves. Prayer should be made on behalf of all people. I remember reading about a pastor named A.B. Simpson. He was in his office one day, and his secretary had come by because she was trying to get a hold of him. He had somebody coming by that needed to see him, and he had told her about the appointment beforehand, but she couldn't contact him. And so she came knocking on his door. There was no answer, so finally she just pushed the door open, and when she saw him there seated at his desk, he was hunched over. She thought, oh, goodness, what's going on? But she realized that he was praying. And in his hands, he was holding a globe, a globe that usually sat on his desk. And she asked him if everything was okay. And he looked up with tears rolling down his eyes and said, they're lost everywhere. We need to pray that people would come to know Jesus. This is the attitude that Paul wanted Timothy to have in mind. An idea of enveloping the world full of people in our hearts and in our minds and praying and asking God to bring salvation to them. Paul says, Timothy, don't just pray for the people that you like there in Ephesus. That's easy to do, right? We pray for our kids and for our grandkids and for our friends when they've got challenges they're facing or they have needs that need to be met. We need to pray for those people. They're part of the all. But we don't need to just pray for those people. And Paul says, Timothy, don't just pray for the people in your own locale. I mean, it'd be easy for Timothy and the others to look around in Ephesus and go, man, we need to pray for so-and-so and for so-and-so and for so-and-so. Those needs were right there before them. And they ought to pray for those needs, just like we ought to pray for one another's needs here. The people around us, the people in Walnut Ridge and Hoxie and Lawrence County, and in Arkansas and in our own nation, we ought to be praying for those who are going through difficulty and trial in their life. We ought to be praying for those in our state who are uh, victims of the flooding that's taken place. We ought to be praying for those in our nation, people who are like us. But we don't just need to pray for people that we like and for people who are like us. We need to pray for all people. In fact, think about this. When was the last time you prayed for someone to be saved that you did not personally know? And when was the last time you prayed for somebody to be saved that you didn't personally know that was not like you? You don't necessarily have to grab a globe and set it in your lap and wrap it up in your arms. 
But in order to pray for all people, we have to take that mindset upon ourselves. Unless we're intentional about praying for people all over the world to come to know Jesus, we're not going to do it. Paul wanted to tell Timothy these things so that he'd take the time to actually lift up the souls of people all throughout the world. You say, Jake, there's no way. You know how long it would take to pray for everybody everywhere throughout the world? Yeah, it doesn't take long. Here's why. You don't know the names of all the 8 billion people in this world. And I don't think Paul wanted Timothy to have a list calling off everybody's names individually. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying when he's telling Timothy to pray for all people is, Timothy, you have the heartbeat of God on your mind. God wants all people to be saved, as we'll look at later in verse 4. And if God wants all people to be saved, and you're talking to God and asking in prayer for God's will to be done, you need to be praying for people everywhere to come to know Jesus. You know how long it takes for you to pray for all people everywhere? This long. Father God, there are 8 billion something people on this planet. And I pray for them, whether they're here in Arkansas or across the world in Africa. Lord, I don't know them. I don't know what they're going through, but you do. And you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for them. God, would you send out missionaries to go and preach the gospel to them? God, would they hear the good news of Jesus? And would they come to know you? How long did that take? Anybody time me? Not near as long as I usually preach, right? It doesn't take that long. But we need to be praying for all people everywhere. And then Paul goes on to give a further caveat to this command in verse 2. If we're praying for all people everywhere, it only makes sense that we would also have a strategy to do that, right? In verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, pray especially for kings and for those who are in authority. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Paul tells Timothy to pray especially for leaders. Those who are in positions of power and authority over other people. Probably because he knew that if these leaders would come to know Jesus, then a lot of other salvations would most likely follow. But also because it would make their job as preachers, heralds of the gospel, that much easier. It's not ever that following Jesus is absolutely easier, that preaching the gospel is going to be hunky-dory all the time. But what Paul tells Timothy to do is to pray for those who are in authority and those who are leaders so that they could lead a tranquil and quiet life. A life of peace and serenity without having governmental opposition staring them in the faith face they were to live in godliness and in dignity I find it interesting don't you that we live in a day and a time where we can worship God freely in this wonderful country we call the United States of America or we have the opportunity to vote for officials who serve and lead our country in government positions of power in Ephesus where Timothy was serving, this was not exactly the case. Ephesus was still a city under Roman control. In fact, the Roman emperor was often deified. People worshipped him and prayed to him. 
This was a place where people could worship, but there was some opposition that they encountered. In fact, it was earlier in the city of Ephesus that Paul and his companions were brought out in front of the city in Acts 19 for preaching the gospel and changing the entire economic system. Once people realized that they worshiped Jesus and not those little idols the silversmiths created, the silversmiths got a little upset because it was cutting into their profit margins. And they were opposed. A riot broke out in the streets. When's the last time somebody pulled me out of church on Sunday morning and said, Jake, you need to come down here in front of Mayor Snap's office on Main Street. We got something to talk to you about. We don't see that type of opposition here in our day and time, in our country, in our place. But rather, here's what we do. You ready? This will hurt a little bit. It hurts me too. Instead of praying for the officials that we voted for or against, instead of praying for those who are leading our free country, we complain. We tweet we get in Facebook arguments and debates. You tell me this. Did Paul tell Timothy, hey, I want you to argue, and I want you to fight, and I want you to debate, and I want you to win your political point across in front of everybody else in Ephesus? No. Did he tell Timothy, hey, I want you to write letters, and I want you to petition the authorities? To get across what you want to be accomplished. No. He said, Timothy, I want you to pray for kings and for all those who are in authority. I dare ask you this question. This will challenge a little bit. Do you pray for those who are in leadership in our nation and around the nations of the world more so than you complain about them? Maybe instead of complaining about these people or getting in fights with other people about the people that we're complaining about, maybe we should pray for those in positions of power to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there's something interesting that happened last weekend on a Sunday morning. Um, you guys know Donald Trump's president of the United States, right? Okay, good. Just making sure you knew that. He, he likes to make sure everybody knows that too. So here's what happened. He, uh, he had been on a little golf trip, but he decided to go to church there in Virginia. If you remember some of the tragic shootings that occurred uh, in Virginia a couple weeks ago, he decided to, to go to a church's worship service in honor of those victims. But it was when he came into McLean Bible Church that the pastor by the name of David Platt, who was the former president of the International Mission Board, came up on stage with the president of the United States. And here's what I loved about this situation. He didn't let Donald Trump get up and on the podium and start talking about his political agenda, nor did he stand there and berate President Trump for not doing things according to God's word. You know what he did for him? He prayed. In fact, we got a video. If you haven't seen this, I want you to watch this. I want you to take a listen to how Pastor Platt prayed over our president. Us to do what First Timothy chapter 2 says to do. Many of you may have seen that there was a call to, to particularly on this Sunday pray for our president. We don't want to do that just on this Sunday. We want to do that continually, day in and day out. So I want to ask us to bow our heads together now and pray for our president. 
Amen. That's a pretty good prayer, wasn't it? The president's surprise visit to church. He might not have known that was what was going to happen, but it is what happened. I'm going to share something with you. What Pastor David Platt did on the platform last Sunday morning in praying for the president of our country did more in one prayer than you have ever done in any of your complaining. Did you know that? So look, think about this. You may like President Trump. You may not like him. I don't know. I don't really care. What's been told in Scripture is that we should pray for those who are in authority. And this is why this is so important. When Jesus comes back one day as the King of kings and Lord of lords, he's not going to be riding on his white horse and his holiness and his splendor and his glory looking at the Republicans and Democrats in the United States of America and saying, well, you... You guys are most like me, or you guys do the most good for the most people, so this is the side I'm going to choose. He doesn't come to take sides, he comes to take over. He's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. And so here's reality for us right here and right now. Jesus wants to save people. God sent his son to save people. And if we want 
to pray for God's will to be done on earth just like it's done in heaven, we need to stop praying and start and stop arguing about people and their ideas and philosophies and we need to start praying that people come to know Jesus. We need to start praying that our leaders have the wisdom that they need to lead. Because this is God's will. In fact, praying, fighting the good fight in that way is what is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Did you know that God doesn't just see the leaders who are in authority and the decisions that they make, but he also sees you and the attitude that's in your heart about those people? He doesn't say it's good and acceptable to throw a fit about what's going on. He says what's good and acceptable is to pray for all people everywhere, especially leaders and those who are in authority. That is what is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Because it's his desire, it's his wish, it's his want, it's his will that all men, all people would be saved and would come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the truth? Paul goes on to talk about it in verses 5 and 6. The truth is, there's one God, not many. There's one God, there actually is one God. It's not that God doesn't exist. It's that he's real. There's one God. And also there's one mediator between God and men. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all when he died upon the cross. He was the testimony given at the proper time. If you question whether or not God wants to save all people everywhere, I'd ask you this question. Why then did God send his son to die for the sins of the world? We already know that God wants to save people. He sent his son to prove that and to demonstrate it. The question is not whether God wants to save people. It's if we want to see people saved. Understand this. God wants people to be saved more than you or I ever could. I, I think about my, my own children, about Mally Grace and Mordecai and Branch and Nason, and it's Stephanie and I have prayed for those kids to come to know Jesus. With some of our very first prayers, when we found out Stephanie was pregnant or when we're sitting there in the hospital after they're born, is that this child would grow up to know and to love and to serve Jesus. Some of you prayed those things for your own kids and grandkids. But did you know, no matter how much I want my own kids to be saved, God wants them to be saved even more than that? And his desire for them to be saved is just as strong as it is for every other soul in the world. God wants people to be saved. So the question I think that we have to ask ourselves then is this. Do we really want people to be saved? Maybe it's not that these people weren't fighting. It's just they weren't fighting the good fight. And maybe it's not that we're not fighting. It's just that we're not fighting the fight that actually matters and counts told you I've been surviving the last couple days at the house. I've had to use a little wisdom and discretion. I have four kids, and it's always daddy, daddy, daddy. In fact, I've even had to respond to the mommy, mommy, mommy the last couple days, right? There's some things, some arguments, some battles with the kids at home, just not worth it. There are some things that you face in life 
that require your time, your effort, your energy, they're just not worth it. And there are some things that are, right? The well-being of my children is important. Their safety is important. Their nourishment is important. Their learning how to be responsible young people is important. There is one thing that is of utmost importance, and that is the people all over the globe come to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. Are we living like that? Are we actually fighting the good fight? Are we fighting a bunch of little fights that don't really matter? Paul wanted Timothy to avoid empty speculations. He wanted Timothy to correct false doctrines. He didn't want him to get engaged in battles that didn't matter and embittered against people about foolish, little, petty things. He wanted Timothy to fight the good fight. And if Timothy was going to fight the good fight, he was going to have to say no to some fights and battles that didn't really matter. When you're called to fight the good fight and to do so by maintaining steady hands in prayer, what things are distracting you from fighting the good fight? What things are pulling your time, your attention, your effort, your energy away from engaging with God in prayer? The real temptation for us in our day and time, at least it is for me, the real temptation is for me in our day and time is things like this. God, I, I know that you want me to pray and I know that people need to be saved, but God, I've got to go take care of this. God, I got a phone call to make. I got a person to visit. I got a thing to clean up. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we think to ourselves, we'll, we'll let other people pray, right? I got to do this. I got to do that. Reality is this. If there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, there is nothing that you can do that's going to save anybody. It's what Jesus has done is what will save people. And if Jesus has already done the work, then why don't we pray that God would help people come to know Jesus who has done the work to save them in the first place instead of working and doing things that don't really matter. If Jesus alone saves, and we believe that he alone saves, that he gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time, then he ought to be the one that we are praying to. And he ought to be the one that is saving people. And he is. And he will continue to do so. But I wonder if we're engaging in the good fight in the way that we ought to. With steady hands in prayer. I guess this last week or two weeks ago, I mentioned to you about our Who's Your One, our evangelism emphasis. Some of you remember that. I asked you to identify one person that you could be sharing your faith with and inviting to church and praying for if they come to know Jesus. You guys remember that? I was able to share with you that we, we had two of those ones come to know Jesus, at least two of those ones. And one of those ones, uh, Kobe Allison, Miss Velma Allison's grandson, that was her one that she had identified. She said, well, I, I didn't really do a whole lot. I, I didn't get to talk to him. I, I didn't even invite him to come to church. She said, I just prayed for him. Can I tell you 
how important prayer is to fighting the good fight? Listen, it's not our words that save people. No matter how much we talk to them and present the gospel to we ought to. God's commanded us to do that. We still can't save them. We can't convince them or persuade them to do something they don't want to do. God's got to do a work in their heart and in their life. It's not our invitations to church that save people. We ought to invite people to church to worship God with us and to hear the gospel presented. We're commanded to go. But it's not what we do that saves people. It's what Jesus has done that saves people. And I have no doubt that as Miss Velma Allison is hearing, as God is hearing Miss Velma Allison's prayers for her grandson to come to faith in Jesus, God's going, yep, that's what I want to do. And that's what I'm going to do. Are you praying for what God wants? It might sound strange to think about fighting the good faith, the good fight, simply by praying. But it actually works. I know it's dumbfounding to think that we sit down and we pray and talk to God and ask Him to do something and then just let Him do that in His own way, in His own time of stirring in somebody's spirit to give them the desire to come to know Jesus. And like I said before, it's, it's not that we stop inviting people to church and it's not that we stop talking to people about Jesus. We need to do those things. God's commanded us to do those things. But Paul told Timothy, first of all, entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgivings need to be made on behalf of all men. If God saves people, we ought to be talking to God, begging and pleading Him to save people. I ran across a strange idea this week. Heard it on the radio, Caleb. Somebody had called in and told a story about how they had locked themselves out of their car. And their, their wife had her keys at home. And so the, the husband had called his wife over their phone and said, I've locked my keys in the car. Can't, no, I can't come pick you up. We've got to take so-and-so to practice. All right. So they came up with an idea. Apparently, I don't know if they heard this somewhere, but other people have done it before. The wife got her electronic key fob and stuck it up to the phone, put the phone on speakerphone, and the husband held his phone up to the side of the door, pushed the unlock button. Would you guess what happened? The car unlocked. I know you're like, no way. You can watch a YouTube video or try it for yourself. It works. So the, the guy on, uh, on K-Love, uh, I think it's Jeff and Randy. They are on the afternoon. Some of you listen to K-Love. He was like, nah, I don't believe it. There's no way that that would ever work. And so somebody called in and said, well, go try it if you don't think it works. All right, fine, I will. So he left his keys there in the studio with his electronic key fob. Because his car was locked. He locked it before he'd come into work. He went outside. He's on his cell phone. Randy holds the key fob to the phone, and Jeff holds the phone to the door, pushes the unlock button. Would you guess what happened? The door unlocked. You know what this guy's response was? Oh, my word. Folks, we have a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare and prayer. I know that 
some people think, why would I spend my time praying? I know some people think there are better things to do. I know some people think that there are greater ways that we can work for God's kingdom or there's more insignificant things we can do in fighting the good fight than just by praying. But when you pray, you get to see God work as God works. And here's the amazing thing that happens. We stand back and we go, oh my word. Did you see what God did? When he brought Kobe Allison to faith in his son Jesus Christ? Did you see what God did after a pastor prayed for President Trump? That thing may have ripple effects we don't even know about yet. Are you fighting the good fight? Do you have steady hands in prayer devoted to talking to God and asking for his will to be done? Asking for him to save people? all over the globe that's how you fight and that's how you win he wins when he saves people and he longs to save them all so let me go back and ask you this question again I want you to respond if we were to get into an argument we we're about ready to fight what's the natural position of your hands when I say hey let, let's go what you going to do all right, good. I can beat some of you up because you're not ready to fight. Here's a second question. What's the posture of your hands? What should they be when you pray? Right here is what we think of, right? But I want to do something a little bit different. This is going to scare some of you to death. You can come back next week. We don't do this all the time. Paul didn't just tell Timothy to fold his hands up. Verse 8, Paul said, I, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. You see what Pastor Platt did when he prayed over President Trump? His Bible in one hand, hand on the president in another, lifting him up in prayer. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be a little scary. I'm going to ask you to lift up your hands, straight up in the air. Just hold them up. And I want you to pray with me. Just pray these things after me. Father God, go ahead, pray them. Father God, we come to you this morning. We acknowledge that you are the only God. We know that you sent Jesus to save us from our sins. We know you want to save everybody. And so with lifted hands, we lift up our world to you. And we cry out for you to save people in the name of your son Jesus. We ask for leaders all around the globe to have wisdom to lead, to have a heart softened to hear you. May they come to know you 
through your son Jesus. And may we fight the good fight. Keeping steady hands in prayer to you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? In just a few moments, you're going to hear a song of invitation played. I don't know how God has spoken to your heart this morning, but I trust that He has. Maybe you need to spend some more time in prayer to God. Maybe with your hands even lifted back up in the air. Maybe you need to come and kneel at this altar. Maybe you need to pray for that one person that you identified months ago and they still haven't come to know Jesus. Maybe you need to pray for them. Maybe God's burdened your heart to pray for people in Africa, in Lesotho, where we have been connected with missionaries who are serving on the field. Maybe God's asking you to pray for souls in Grand Junction, Colorado. Or we'll be taking a mission trip later this summer to partner with the McCartys in the work God's called them to there. Maybe you need to pray for leaders, those who are in authority, for our governor, for our congressmen, for justices and judges, for our president. Maybe you, maybe you need to come to know Jesus this morning. Maybe you're here and you've gone through the church motions a long time. But you don't have a personal relationship with God through His Son who He sent to die for you. I'll be standing down here in the front if any of you need to come and speak with me. If you need to come, I'll be happy to, to pray with you and pray for you. As God calls you today, would you come to Him?
Amen. It's been a joy to worship with all of you today. Hope to see you back tonight at 6 o'clock for Dive Deeper. We'll all meet in here in the sanctuary for worship, and then we'll split off into our groups. Let's be dismissed. God bless.